Hey guys, welcome to another Mother's Day edition here on Being Rare. Joining me today is Beverly Jacobson, wife, mom, and founder of a brand new nonprofit, Verity's Village. Listen as I talk with Beverly about balancing family, her faith, and a trisomy 18 diagnosis. Hey, Beverly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting. Well, thank you for being here. So to get get started, we wanted you to introduce yourself to our audience and um, tell us a little bit about how you got started on your trisomy 18 journey. Sure. So it was, well, let's let's go back a little bit even before knowing what trisomy 18 was, right? Uh, We have a large family. We had gotten our eight children (laughs) given to us. And I really felt that I felt complete. I felt our family was complete with our eight. I was, uh, that was a journey in and of itself, which could probably be a whole other (laughs) podcast episode. I won't go into those details, but we just felt very blessed that the, the Lord had led us through this journey and we had ultimately been led to to allow him to plan our family size we didn't set out to have a big family but that was his plan so when i realized i was pregnant again i was in shock Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and honestly a, a little you know a little bit of denial a little bit of frustration even of Uh, I thought we were finished. Lord, what are you doing? I can't even handle the eight children that I have. (laughs) Um, And, and really it was, uh, I found out early in the summer of 2016. And I remember just very vividly going through um, a spiritual season of wrestling with the Lord and, Mm -hmm. and coming to terms with, okay, we're having a, a ninth baby. We did have two early miscarriages throughout our journey before, but you know, having another baby, finally coming to uh, acceptance, I guess, of that and starting to get a little bit excited. We'd had a little bit of a scare early on um, with some pains that I ended up in the ER. They did an internal ultrasound. And I realized during that time that, you know, I I cared for this baby already. Um, Didn't know, you know, boy or girl, or I was just early on, but that really, allowed me to, to have those emotions and, and form attachments and, and, you know, start to get excited. Like, okay, you know, I'm maybe I'm 42 years old. Maybe I'm feeling old and tired, but we can do this. Right. Right. So we get to the fall of 2016. It was a beautiful sunny day. I remember very clearly we had started our homeschool morning, all of our kids in the kitchen. We usually would have finish up breakfast and then have our prayer and Bible time together before older ones would go off to do their thing. And, um, and the phone rang before we even had a chance to get going. And it was my doctor's office. And she said, based on my blood test results, there looked to be an elevated risk for trisomy 18. Mm -hmm. Now I had never heard of Edwards syndrome. I didn't know what a trisomy was. Mm -hmm. I was trying to process this and my kids were in the other room kind of sort of hearing what was going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, really all that I remember hearing was one, they were going to schedule me for a diagnostic ultrasound. And she was assuring me, I still had a nine out of 10 chance of having a perfectly healthy baby. It was simply possible, you know, an elevated risk. And then when I was asking her, well, what does this mean? If the baby does have this condition, 
and she was kind of quiet, but I think she was trying to be a little bit detached in her terminology. So it didn't hit me so much, but she said that there would be severe physical and developmental delays. Um, if the baby even made it to birth, she did not indicate that that would even be likely. So of course I was very shaken up. Um, my children had heard enough of the conversation and had seen my reaction to, to make me think, okay, I have to address this right now. I can't just, you know, shove it aside. And so we stopped right there. And I, I went ahead and just told them everything that, that I had heard on the phone call. And I said, you know, this, whatever happens, God is good and God is sovereign and we are going to praise him no matter what. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, went outside and cried. <laughs> um, it, it, <laughs> it was just so overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I remember calling a few friends, really close friends and prayer partners after I called my husband, he of course was the first one I called. And then, um, I, our pastor lived a few blocks away. I put the baby in the stroller and, and got my kids working on some sort of homeschool project and had teenagers watching younger ones so that I could just get out of the house a little bit, went and prayed with him in his driveway. He and his wife had experienced a, a, a stillbirth early on in their marriage. And, and so he was a good person to talk to. Um, but then, you know, it was a, a waiting game till we had that, that opportunity to go and, and get further answers. Right, right. And, you know, and I can totally relate um, to so many things that you just talked about. You know, number one, um, our trisomy kiddo was um, our fifth kid. Mm-hmm. And, and and just like you, I was, I was advanced age, you know, we, we you know, <laughs> right? once, you, once you, I think in OB years, once you're like 38, you're considered old, you're ancient. <laughs> right, exactly. And I was 40. Yep. And so, yeah, um, you know, it was one of those, um, those conversations of, you know, because of your age and all this different kind of stuff. And so I was not excited about being pregnant. Um, it, it was our sixth pregnancy, but he would be our fifth child because we had mm-hmm. miscarried years before. And so, so completely relate to just being caught off guard. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I was, I started having these crazy symptoms and I was preparing for like a hysterectomy or just something I had. Oh, wow. Was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, so I totally relate to just being completely shocked and off guard. And, um, and even, you know, just getting the phone call and just getting mm-hmm. the diagnoses. Um, how did your, just telling your children, how did they take it? I mean, was it, of course, they didn't understand. You didn't have a lot of information, right. but how was that conversation? What was that like? Yeah. So um, that initial morning, I, I I just remember, I remember my thoughts. It's, it's kind of, I was very much inward focused. I honestly don't remember much about how they reacted. I think they kind of just went on with their day because right. I had to just get out for a little bit, but then over the weekend, as we talked about, okay, we're going to have this ultrasound on Monday, mm-hmm. my teenage daughter, she was almost 16 at the time. And she had attended the births of three of her siblings, three of her mm-hmm. siblings. And she had been there for multiple ultrasounds. That's, mm-hmm. that's just, that would, you know, that's a right of the first four. And she had the opportunity right. um, and her, the, you know, the next couple were boys and they didn't really care, but right. she was there when we got to know, is it a girl? Is it a boy? And that has always been a special time for her. And 
she decided that she would like to accompany us. And, you know, we gave her that decision. If, if you would like to go, you may go, we don't know what we're going to find out. So, you know, it is what it is. So she expressed the interest and she and my husband and I then went to the ultrasound that, that Monday. And we had an hour with the genetic counselor before the ultrasound. And then, so really the next big conversation with the kids was that night. And, um, my parents were in town. We hadn't told them anything to this point because I didn't want my mom to worry while they were driving from out of state. And so we had a a big powwow that evening, because even though we didn't have the exact results from the amnio yet, what we had seen on the ultrasound was enough to indicate this probably was the case. And so that I I remember that conversation very vividly, that it was just like a pall came over the room. It was quiet. Um, My third, who was uh, almost 13 at the time, he asked if there was any chance that she could be healed was, was the word he used. And so I had to be very careful in how I processed that question. Um, and I remember saying to him, you know, can God heal her? Absolutely. But if this is what we think it is, that means there's an extra 18th chromosome in every single cell of her body. And that would require him to go in and remove that extra chromosome would he do that because i believe he made her this way on purpose i don't know what that means i don't know what that means for our family i don't know what that means for her but can he heal her yes but i'm not so sure that it's going to look the way you're asking the question if if that makes sense but that was a whole other topic that the lord spoke to my heart and what does it look like to have a miracle happen Mm -hmm. and what, how, how do you respond to people who are saying we're praying for a miracle or we're praying for full healing when, you know, good intentions, absolutely. You know, and I, but I, I had to really work through that myself. It was hard to, to wrap my own brain around this condition and what that was going to mean for everybody let alone explain it to the kids. Right, right. And and um, I can remember, you know, when we literally just that same journey and, mm-hmm. um, and having those same, you know, prayers coming in and that same conversation mm-hmm. of, you know, we're praying for you and, and, and even having people say, um, we are trusting God to heal and, and, mm-hmm. um, And I can remember sharing with my mom one time, um, she said that uh, one of the older ladies at her church said that we were going to go to a doctor's appointment and it was going, the diagnosis was going to be negative all of a sudden and, and (laughs) it all was going to be well. And, and I took that same approach that, that you did with your kids. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I told my mom, I said, well, as much as I believe that God can do exceedingly and yes. abundantly more <laughs> than we can ever think or imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in Elijah's case, yes, I also believe this diagnosis has to stay mm-hmm. because what's in store, God needs to get the glory from 
yes. being, people being able to see a trisomy 18 diagnosis, but Elijah being able to do all that he can do. Right. So if you if you strip the diagnosis, then it'll be a case of, oh, well, it was a misdiagnosis anyways, or it was never right. that the, the diagnosis needs to remain. Right. That's how God get his, gets his glory from it. Yes. Um, and so um, we have and how he works in our lives, yes. too. I, you know, I just like when I went through my season of loss after my first miscarriage and uh-huh. I never knew that this happened. Nobody talked to me about having a miscarriage and that opened my eyes to a whole new world, Mm -hmm. a new reality Mm -hmm. that many women face and just don't talk about. It is talked about a little bit more nowadays, I think, but Mm -hmm. back in 2006, when I had that happen for the first time, it utterly wiped me out. I just wasn't expecting it. And in, in, a sense that helped prepare me. I can look back and see how God was so gracious to prepare yeah. me personally and our family for this whole journey with our, our Verity, who was our trisomy 18 daughter. Um, but this, in a sense, the same type of thing happened where my eyes were open to this whole world of the special needs family. Right. And while I knew from a distance, I had friends who had down syndrome children, mm-hmm autistic children, other needs represented within the family, but I didn't get it. (laughs) I didn't fully understand what it was like to walk day in, day out as a caregiver of someone who is completely dependent or has these needs that other people, you know, it's for granted that it's either not part of their life or else it, they don't have that difficulty. And so you're right that the fact that the diagnosis had to stand in order for us to grow in our faith, in our, um, our experience as hum- what it means to be part of the human, you know, <laughs> the, the connection that we have with other people and how much deeper that can go when you have this level of knowledge that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that experience. Exactly. And it's so, it's so uh, great that you, you know, you talked about special needs. Um, you know, I will say having a special needs child, it absolutely opened up my eyes to things that I had never even considered. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just even, you know, and maybe even taken for granted, you know, just being able right. to um, travel and, you know, you, you're talking about with typical kids, just pack a bag, but you know, right. with, with our special needs kid, you've got like a plethora of equipment and <laughs> yes. supplies and you can't, you can't really rely on the hotel to have these accommodations, you know, of things right. that you need. Like, and I'm talking about things that exceed disability accommodations, things that you have to take right. from home with you. And, and so right. I think Oxygen, the CPAP machine, the, the feeding pump, the backup everything. Right. Yes. There, there it's is, so much. Right. There is no running to the desk downstairs in the lobby. Right. You happen to have a CPAP machine, you know, you just, right. that just doesn't happen. Um, or an extra G button. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so just on that same note, in terms of just being a special needs family, have mm-hmm. you noticed um, one of the common conversations that I have with a bunch of folks is just that conversation of finding your circle, finding your tribe. Mm. You know, I've even talked to one family who said, 
they've lost friends after yes. having a special needs child. Um, what kind of experience have you had mm. with just uh, your circle before and your circle yes. after having a special needs kid? Yes, it is. It is interesting. I, uh, I had several moms who have walked this road, not specifically trisomy 18, but with other complications with their children and they reached out and supported me in a way that was such a blessing and such a gift. And even though I had only known them nominally before, and even though we don't necessarily, you know, it's not like we chat every day or anything, but I've drawn strength from these women. Mm -hmm. A couple of them I'm thinking of in particular, you know, their, their sons made it into the I think thirties. So they, they were carrying, literally carrying <laughs> their children, you know, wow. from birth until adulthood and watching that long road of faithfulness years ago, before I knew that we were going to enter that world, I had great respect and admiration for them, mm -hmm. but to have them enter my life and say, yes, you okay. can do this. The Lord will equip you. Yeah. That spoke volumes to my soul you're right. Um, as far as I don't think that we've necessarily lost friends, um, in a hurtful way. I think it's been a combination of factors. So for us, we have been a military family. Most of my married life for 22 and a half years, my husband served with the air force and we moved frequently. We are now rooted in Colorado, but just by virtue of our transitory lifestyle, we would have to start over and there are always going to be the friends that you kind of carry with you in your heart. And you're, you're always, you know, keeping in touch and, and watching each other's kids grow up and that kind of thing. There's a certain amount of distance that just happens naturally. So whether that was part of it or whether it was just the fact that people couldn't relate anymore, mm -hmm. maybe they felt awkward didn't know what to say. And so they didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. The friendships that I treasure the most special needs or no, mm -hmm. you know, whether they're in that circle or not, mm -hmm. they're the people that walked that journey with me mm -hmm. from the pregnancy, from feeling and planning the burial of our baby right. to celebrating because she made it. And then praying us through those hard, hard months and mm -hmm. first couple of years that were so, so difficult. Those friends that hung with me, who cared to learn about what we were dealing with, who said, e even sometimes saying, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do to help you. My heart hurts for you. I just wish I knew what to do. And my response was, the fact that you're still here, yes. <laughs> the fact that you even cared to say, I don't know what to say right. to me, that was the best gift because I just needed to feel seen and heard, mm -hmm. even if somebody didn't fully understand. Now, when it comes to understanding, that's a component too, that's important in that support network. And not everybody can understand. They may have really good intentions. Mm -hmm. But even, even those with great intentions are sometimes going to say things that hurt because they don't know. They don't know how it comes across. 
they might do things that hurt again, unintentionally, they can't be everything to us. Well, and really nobody can, right? We, Jesus fills our cup. (laughs) He's the only one that we truly can look to. But when it comes to this kind of a journey, and especially for those of us that were surprised in a good way that our children are still here, Mm -hmm. the ins and outs of the daily grind, so to speak, that trisomy tribe for us has been invaluable. It's the a world I didn't know existed. I, it didn't occur to me to go online and look for support groups. I did f- find um, some sort of forum, which turned out to be not helpful. It, it was run by uh, an organization that I no longer endorse. <laughs> I don't endorse at all um, because of their emphasis on death and not allowing those of us who have living children to really speak up. But when I found some online groups, um, through Facebook, I, a whole new world opened up because that's when I started to have hope to say, oh my goodness, I was told this was a death sentence. And here are pictures and videos of these children living and thriving and not just babies. Some of them are two, three, four years old, even nine, 10, 11 years old, and even older than that. And all of a sudden it was clear (laughs) if difficult, but I had to shift. I had a a mental shift that had to happen that all of a sudden it hit me. I was not necessarily needing to prepare for my daughter to die. I needed to prepare for her to live. And that was scary too. And finding that tribe helped take some of that fear away because I saw other moms and dads that were just doing it. And we look at them and we might say they're, they're superheroes. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. But you know that they say, nope, we just do what needs to be done. And we learned it one step at a time. And that's the way you're going to do it too. And that was kind of the attitude and, and the, the encouragement I received that blessed us so much. And, and we're still connected uh, very closely with some of those mamas that were birthing their trisomy kiddos at about the time we were. And I mean, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. I've cried more in the last four years over children that I've never met families. I've never met in person, but their grief, we, we carry that in a sense. And yet we can celebrate with each other too. And it, it is a level of connection that you don't understand if you're not in that journey but absolutely so valuable and so important to get plugged into something like that. Right. And I think that's very important. Um, I know a lot of my community has been, um, a lot of, a lot of my tribe is, you know, a lot of different special needs and rare Mm -hmm. diseases. Um, I, I only have maybe one or two that are trisomy 18 specific when it, you know, in terms of diagnoses and, but everybody else, they, they have a rare illness or some type of um, uh, disability or special needs component. And, and I think, I think that's so accurate. I think it's so important to have um, people in your circle who can relate Mm -hmm. to, you know, what you're experiencing Um, because, because sometimes, um, the it'll get better statement 
or, you know, that we, we completely embrace that every day is not going to be bad, but, um, but to the person who doesn't live with it, they don't understand how some days that's not the, that's not the comeback that we're looking for, you know, when, when we're having those those conversations. And so, um, so I do agree. I think it's very important to have people in your circle who, who have relatable stories and, and Mm -hmm. who who just understand what your day looks like. Um, Yes. So just, I think that's a really great segue into um, another thing that I wanted you to touch on before we wrap up. Um, what does a day look like for you and Verity, mm-hmm. um, your family, who your kiddos who are still at home? Um, yes, I mean having nine, I'm sure some of them have <laughs> have shifted to adulthood. But um, what what does a day look like for you guys? Yeah, that's a great question, and it kind of depends on the day, right? <laughs> um, as I'm sure um, you can imagine. So we do have one who's married and and out of the house living in town, which is nice. And we have one who just finished his freshman year of college. So he is home currently, but then on a day-to-day we have seven and the youngest of course is Verity. Now our, our schedule and our days probably look different from a lot of others because we are blessed with some fabulous nursing care through, um, through insurance and through uh, her Medicaid. But I know that's not the case for everybody. And so I, I'm here to say, you know, one reason we stayed here in Colorado is because of the great support that we're able to get with having such a large family and being a homeschool mom. Um, before we had the nursing care, cause she was about eight months old before we ever had any type of, of care coming into the home. I was at the end of my rope, literally crying out to the Lord, if you want me to homeschool these children, something has to change because I can't do it all. We were still in the phase where we were terrified for Verity's life, partly because of the statistics we had heard, you know, she wasn't supposed to make it to her first birthday. Right. So it was waking up every day and wondering when is my child going to die? I mean, that's, that's awful. It sounds horrible, but that, yes, you live with that. And you wonder, is today going to be the day? And especially if you just saw a friend in in the community post, you know, a sudden passing would just send me off the edge for days and weeks, because I knew that would be our reality at some point, but also her issues that first year, lots of vomiting, lots of potential. I mean, it's a miracle. She actually did not ask for the first year. It was twice in the next year that we had pneumonia with that, but it was a full-time job. I couldn't leave her. She, she was literally by my side or in my lap. I was pumping around the clock. It was, and then of course, you've got all the emotional and mental health aspects with the hormones and the lack of sleep and so many components. So I was crying out to the Lord, looking at charter school options, looking at what, what are some other educational options? I can't do this. And the phone rang. <laughs> we had a healthcare agency that said, we'd like to interview you and, and see if you know we can get things set up. So that has been a huge blessing. We don't take it for granted. I have heard a lot of stories, horror stories of nursing care gone awry or you know terrible experiences with in-home uh, providers. And we have just had 
an amazing team. And currently Monday through Friday during the day, that's when we have our nurses and that allows me to homeschool and be a mom to my other kids and take care of other appointments and errands and so on. And then, you know, evenings and weekends, it's, it's us, it's just our family, which to me that I wouldn't change it for anything. I am so thankful. And the two nurses that, that um, take the day shifts have been with us for now, I think we're going on three years. So um, yes, we just hit the three-year mark. So the two ladies, they work well together communicating, you know, when, when someone needs a day off or whatever, and then they have become part of our family. So I can't really speak to our daily schedule without saying what a blessing those ladies are because they love Verity. They love the rest of my kids. You know, we've forged this amazing relationship, which it could be an awkward situation to have someone in your home, but for us, it has just worked out beautifully. So we're coming down to the end of the school year now, but this year Verity got to go to preschool. So her days, Monday through Thursday, start early because we have to get her up. We have to help her poop. Right, <laughs> that's, right. that's a part of, of the thing, you know, that we get right. to do. We help her with her breakfast and then she and her nurse will get on the school bus and go to school for the, for, for the morning. And then they come home around lunchtime. And when she's having therapies, we do have in-home physical therapy and in-home massage therapy. And I don't really need to do anything for massage physical therapy. I try to be there for part of it. At least it's often happening during our homeschool hours. So I'm looking forward to summer because then I can really be there, be present, but you know, the nurses are helping her get on her equipment, her crawler, her gate trainer, um, that try to, to pack that into the morning and early afternoon, because she definitely gets tired. And at the end of the day, if we put her in a piece of equipment, you know, she's just kind of like, right. I'm done. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but she has four bolus feeds a day and, um, she has an overnight feeding. She usually is pooping out around eight, 8 15 PM ready to be in her bed. She might probably be asleep another hour, but she, she has her limits and she's not cuddly per se. Although I think as she's getting older, she's enjoying that more. So it's nice to be able to have her on her lap and just the kids love to surround her. And, and she's very much, I mean, the kids are all over her. They, they love her. They, you know, are reading to her, bringing her toys, uh, very incorporated with what's going on in the rest of the, the family. And then weekends, we, we typically chill on Saturdays, go to take her to church on Sundays. Um, you know, we try to <laughs> be better about getting her out and about, she loves to be outside. So we love to take her for walks as wow. well. Um, but it's now that summer's coming, we're going to have a lot more free time. Yeah. And so her, her morning routine will be a little bit different during this I guess weekdays, not, not right. school days, right. but yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, we appreciate you so much for being with us. I do want to um, just ask you to leave our audience with a message of hope. Um, mm. Just a message of hope that you can share with our tribe of folks and, um, and our listeners from you to them. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I am so glad you said the word hope. And I, I hope it's okay that I mentioned that uh, Verity's Village is mm-hmm. our nonprofit that we are uh, kicking off. We officially incorporated 
waiting for the IRS, you know, official approval, but all the paperwork is submitted. And Verity's Village is, of course, in honor of our sweet Verity, but to support others on this journey, my heart is especially for the women that received that prenatal diagnosis, because that was such a life-changing moment and then season of time when I had to process all this new information. And so we, we journey with women and then by extension, their families, as they go through the pregnancy, as they prepare for delivery and beyond whatever that's going to look like for them. And we seek to support them. And our vision is changing the narrative surrounding genetic anomalies from heartache to hope. And that's our heart is that usually when you get this diagnosis, your first reaction is going to be heartache. You're expecting to bury your baby or you're grieving the loss of expectations. Even if that diagnosis isn't necessarily life limiting, but it's just different, you know, Mm -hmm. and the heartache that you carry because you had hopes and dreams for this child that are probably not going to play out the way you envisioned. Right. And yet when you walk through the journey and choose to carry that child, choose to care for that sweet, precious life, honoring the life that God created and just letting him lead the way. And let's see what happens. You find that he gives grace day by day. You don't all of a sudden become the mom of a special needs 10 year old. You're in it day by day by day. You're the mom of that baby in your room. You're the mom of a newborn. You're the mom of a one week old and whatever you need for the day, you're going to have it. His mercies are new every morning and he gives us what we need when we need it. I hope that helps, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's a joy. It really is a joy mm-hmm. to have Verity in our lives and her, her smiles, her laughs, uh, like the whole family stops and, and listens. And we just smile when we hear her giggling to herself about whatever little joke she has right. going on in her head. It's just a precious, amazing gift that we've been given. And I would not choose any other path. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you so much for spending this time with us. And um, to our audience, I will put information about Verity's Village in the description of this podcast episode. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much, Beverly, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. We are so grateful for the opportunity to speak to Beverly today. To learn more about Verity's Village, look for them on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe or hit that follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be notified when we upload new content. Don't forget to share us with your family, your friends, your colleagues, and anyone else who you believe can find value in our message. Until the next time, be rare. Thank you.